Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 to 12. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should uh, wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Father, thank you so much for speaking to us uh, through the Bible, that we have this uh, word in 1 Thessalonians to, to help us uh, consider how we can live, uh, live for you, how we can be Christians in our world today, uh, how we can honour you in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that as we uh, hear your words, may your spirit be at work moving our hearts uh, towards you and towards uh, a life um, that, that does please you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, it, it's generally true, isn't it, that um, many of us, we, we love to know what the future holds for us. Uh, it gives us a sense of control, doesn't it? Uh, we, can, uh, set out, we can set our goals, we can uh, do the work that's involved to achieve our dreams. Uh, for many of us, though, we don't know what, what to do. We feel paralyzed because there are so many future plans, and sometimes uh, all the options sound good, and we feel paralyzed with decision-making. I don't know about you, but sometimes, I, maybe it's our generation, but there are just so many options in front of us, and we just are so unsure with what to do. Uh, and I talk to friends, and sometimes I have a wide a variety of I do have friends, and I have a variety of friends, and, and, I, and I talk to them, and I hear things that are quite interesting. Now, I don't have any friends that do this one, but some go to fortune tellers. Fortune tellers, and, and they get their palm read, right? Try to find out what's the future for them. Some do go to tarot card readers. You know, this whole new age spiritualism, you know, go see what a tarot card reading will tell you. Some get, get into their horoscopes. I know f- people who get into their horoscopes, right? As, as I was preparing this, I googled my horoscope. I'm a Scorpio. This month, it said this on horoscopes.com. It's really reliable, I think. The cosmic climate... <laughs> I feel bad making fun of it. The cosmic climate this month is a bittersweet one for you, dear Scorpio, because the stars align to bring you both blessings and challenges. On the one hand, you'll be feeling clear-headed and motivated to wholeheartedly work towards your goal as the sun, Mercury and Venus all travel through your sign. Unfortunately, Mars, your planetary ruler, is in the midst of its retrograde journey through Gemini, which would cause... 
It just, ke- it just keeps going on like that, right? And so <laughs> I'm just like, I have no idea what it's saying. And sure, blessings and challenges. I face that every month. I'll, I'll be honest with you, every month. Now, if you're desperate, right? If you're really desperate and horoscopes and tarot card readings aren't your thing, maybe you might go down to the supermarket. And maybe you'll go down to the supermarket, and I've got, I've got it here today in my bag. And you'll buy a box of fortune cookies. <laughs> because you really want to know what your... Fo- I opened this just to make sure this is going to work for us. Uh, this is a, this is gonna, I need some volunteers, actually. Serena? Tell me your fortune. So you can eat it if you want. They're really tasty. Yeah, Are oh, you just going to rip it out? Okay. I think it's the other side. Yep. <laughs> the lotto numbers, apparently. Yeah. Failure is opportunity in disguise. Okay. So, Serena, if you fail this month, <laughs> see it as an opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we read those fortunes and we, we're laughing at it because we know it's just, it's just feel-good, you know, uh, phrases, things that are just, uh, um, it's, it's, it's just trash, rubbish, right? Like, I mean, we throw it out afterwards because we, d- we, I think the one I picked up earlier this morning, something like, you're going to make some friends this month. <laughs> you know, is this really what we're looking towards for our future? For, for what to, now here's the thing about being a Christian. Here's the thing, when I think about Christianity, when we feel stuck or apprehensive about the future, we might not turn to fortune cookies, we might not turn to tarot cards for wisdom, but perhaps we've asked God, what is your will for me? And like a fortune cookie, we expect him or the Bible to give us clear answers to all of life's questions. What career path should I be on? Who should I date or marry? What house should I buy? What school should I send my kids to? Only to feel even more lost and even more discouraged. Or perhaps like a fortune cookie, we expect God's will to always lead us to good fortune. To, to, and so our prayer sounded a bit like this. If it is your will, can you please give me that job I've applied for? If it is your will, God, can you please find me the right person to marry? God, if it is your will, put me on the path with the least risk, the least sacrifice, the least discomfort. We often ask for God's will to be done in our lives, but we also expect His will to satisfy the desires of our hearts. What is God's will for you? What is his will for me? And today we're going to discover that knowing God's will is actually less about our circumstances, our ambitions, and our goals, even our future, but more about who we are and who we're becoming. All right? It's not about the future. God's will isn't about the future. It's about who we are and who we're becoming. Just a brief recap. So far in 1 Thessalonians, we read about how Paul, he's so thankful to God for this church, the Thessalonian church. And he's encouraged by them as he hears reports about this community of Christians standing firm in their faith. You know, standing firm in a, in a city that opposes Christianity. 2,000 years ago, this is what it was like to live as a Christian. People didn't like you for following Jesus. It's not much different sometimes today. In chapter 4, he, he wants to encourage them and exhort them to keep on going. And so we're still only seeing this, um, these commands. He's going to talk about these commands. But as we get through this passage, he'll, he'll keep saying, do this more and more. He'll repeat that idea. Keep standing for your faith. Keep going. So if you have your Bibles open, follow along with me. I'm going to read from verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. 
For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Today's passage tells us that God's will for us is to be sanctified. That means to be holy, set apart. It's not about seeing your circumstances change. That's what we want God's will to be. But God's will is actually to see our hearts change. It's God's will that we should be holy. Now, before we get to other matters of how we're called to live, which we'll get into, we need to start with who we are. It says, it says that we, he has taught them, he's taught the church how to live in order to please God. Now, pleasing God is not something you do unless you first believe in God, right? Why would you want to please God if you don't even believe in God? Paul is writing to the church. They're believers. They follow Jesus. They know the teachings of Jesus. They've committed themselves to loving and living and obeying Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand, right? We're saved by Jesus, by his grace and faith in him. It's not that we have to do anything to earn his favor, his salvation. God uh, initiates in love and grace towards us. By his grace, we're saved. No matter how messed up your life might be, no matter how broken you feel, he invites us to come and put our faith in him. In one sense, we're already, he's already pleased with us because of Jesus. Jesus' blood, his death, and his resurrection has washed away our sins. But now as we have put our faith in Jesus, as we call ourselves Christians who follow Jesus, are we sons and daughters now that are just passive? Are we just sitting back and complacent? Or do we live out our faith and what we believe about God? The thing about Christians is when we hear his commands and instructions, are we obedient to them? If we know the greatness of God and the joy in Him and the hope we have, are our lives centered still on us or are they centered on God? Our dreams, our ambitions, the decisions we make, what we do, doesn't it flow out of what best honors Him? What best pleases Him? Here's the thing that Paul is saying. I can see that you're living for Jesus. I mean, that's awesome. Praise God. As we, as we taught you, live for Jesus, but seek out to do this more and more. Have you ever heard that phrase, right? If, if you're not moving forward, then you're moving backwards. Yeah, it's, isn't that so for the Christian faith as well? A life that knows Jesus is one that seeks to please God more and more. To seek out holiness. Not to stand still, but to bear fruit. Unfortunately, we do live in a world that is stained by sin still. right? So we'll struggle with sin. Our bodies, our thoughts, our hearts. While we're still saved, we'll struggle at times with sin. We aren't perfect. None of us are. We're not going to be perfect until we get to heaven. But we're called to strive for holiness, to, to do more and more of it. To, 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 we're called to obey Jesus, right? Now, it's, it's true, sadly, that Christianity has a bad rap because Christians have enforced their morals and their values upon society at times, while many in our society don't necessarily believe in God. We can't tell people how to live for God if they don't believe in him, why are we starting there? What good is it to tell people what the, what the Bible says if they don't even believe in the one who wrote the Bible for us? If, we're, if, if, if they were to believe, sure, in the greatness and salvation that comes from Jesus, then sure, they might want to live for Jesus. But why are we trying to enforce our values upon society when they don't even believe in God? We have no right. We have no right to dictate how they should live if we worship different gods. Now, we believe there are good things in Christianity that are good for society, 100%. And we should, we should encourage that and we should model that 100%. We should, if you have the, we have the freedom to vote for it, vote for it. But if the society around us doesn't believe in God, why are we calling them to live to please God more and more when that command is for us as Christians? 
You see, this is what, why we need to start with who we are. We have this identity that God has gifted to us by grace. We belong to Jesus. We're Christians. We call God our Father, and we rejoice in doing so. So when it comes to living for a good and great God who calls us to follow Him, we need to consider this. You live for a God because you, not because you have to, but because hopefully you want to. We want to please our God who loves us, who's been so generous and kind to us, not out of a place of guilt or to earn approval, but because we've already been accepted, we've already been approved. I came across this video just this last week. Um, there's this, there's this um, basketball player, his name's Jeremy Lin. I don't know if you guys know him. He was famous 10 years ago. He blew up, um, and during this period 10 years ago, he got really famous because there was this period called Lin Sanity. Uh, he was on the basketball court. He got heaps of buckets, shot after shot, and, they, and, and he was really well known for this. It was insane. It came out of nowhere. In this recent interview, he said this. Uh, he, during the time, this is what he felt. He says a big reason why he was playing so well was because of his coach. Coach D'Antoni at the time of the New York Knicks. He said this, I never felt like I had to prove myself to the coach, that I deserved to be on the court. He would just say to me, go and be you, just play. So I would play out of the fact I'm already accepted, already approved, already good enough. How, what he's saying is, is how I see Christianity. You know, when I live out the Christian life, we operate out of a place of acceptance, don't we? A place of approval. We don't have to prove ourselves. Jesus has done that for us. He died on our behalf. I live for Christ because, not because I have to, but because I get to now. I get to play on the court. I get to live for God. We get to do that. We seek out holiness because we want to please Him. And isn't that the life of the Christian? Truth is, you possess something far greater than what any human could offer you, what society could offer you. You have a hope that, that others outside the church don't have. You have a purpose and meaning to your life that isn't dictated by others. You have a deep-rooted joy that people try to look for in things that simply don't last. You have everything in Jesus, eternal life in Him. So when it comes to living for God, we approach it in a very different way to the way around uh, the, the people around us, don't we? Because we know what we have. And so living for God, the way we approach God isn't to make Him happy, but because I'm already approved, I'm already accepted. I get to now live for Jesus because I believe Jesus is worth it. How will you live? Are you going to live in gratitude or are you going to live in guilt? You see, rather than asking God to change our circumstances, if this is His will, it's time to realize that we already know the will of God for us. His will is for us to be changed from the inside out. The will of God for us is that we will seek to be sanctified, to be holy. So friends, if you are a Christian here today, let me be crystal clear. God's will for you isn't about what you should study. It isn't about what career path you should take, who you should marry, what house you should buy, where you should live, all that stuff. Sometimes there are a lot of good choices. Just pick one, <laughs> right? Because God isn't so concerned with those things that we're concerned with. God's will for you is who you're becoming. Yeah, the other, stuff, the other stuff might matter a lot to you and me at the time. It does stress us out. I get that. But does God really mind if you're a doctor or a janitor, an engineer or flipping burgers at Macca's? Sure, he doesn't want you to be a pimp right, or a drug dealer. But what's his will for you? To be sanctified, holy, faithful, wherever you find yourself. Is God going to tell you to marry this man or woman? Is they going to be right for you? Are you right for them? That's the question you should be asking. 
those decisions and questions in your life about your future will naturally work itself out when it flows, overflows first from our desire to be holy. When we care about our faithfulness, when we ask God to help us to be faithful, then whatever job we take, whoever we marry, whatever house we buy, we'll do it in a way that honors God. Know who we are, know our identity and the will He has for us. And so for the Thessalonians, Paul addresses a few areas, right, in their lives where they can seek to be holy. I don't think these, is, these are exhaustive, but he addresses these things that they're probably uh, uh, addressing in their own lives in, in their city. The first one is sexual purity. Verse 3, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. So this, there's this thing about sexual immorality. It's here in the Bible. The word here uh, in the Greek word is porneia. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? It can be interpreted broadly, any sexual activity outside of the covenant of monogamous marriage. For some of us who are new to church, yes, this is in the Bible. It's not a meme, right? It's not something that we tease Christians about. It's actually there because we believe it. Paul helps us to, uh, to understand sexual immorality. He expands for it. He expands on it. For example, it looks like it says controlling our bodies, not living in passionate lust like the pagans. That's what verse 5 says. Think about the ancient cities, Greece, ancient countries, Greece and Rome, cities. Uh, we're, we're talking about pagans who worship gods like Aphrodite, the goddess of sex. You know, in the temple of Aphrodite, there would be temple prostitutes that men would go and just access whenever they felt like it. He's speaking to a culture where a man might have a wife, and that wife is to, you know, have, have kids and everything, look after the kids, look after the home, but then he'll also have, a, what I say, a side dish. Uh, he'd have a, you know, a mistress on the side, you know, a, 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 a prostitutes he'd go have sex with, all those sort of things. The, uh, that's how the pagans lived in the ancient world. Now, now, there's nothing wrong with being passionate in your sexual desires. Yeah, 100% God gave us sex and wired us to be passionate individuals. But when it says passionate lust, like the pagans, we're really talking about this sort of uh, a sex with no limits. And while our culture tells us that's good, be yourself, fulfill your sexuality, sexual desires, as you want to freely, it's, is it always good to do so without limits? What do we see when there are no limits? At the, at the extreme, we see people hurt, trafficked into sex slavery. We see, people, we see gang rape happen in our society. Do we really want a culture of sex without limits? Are the, are, are the, are the one-night stands, the casual sex encounters, having multiple partners, partners the, the Tinder culture of hookups, is that actually fulfilling? Is it good to treat women like objects? Because that's what a lot of men do. Is it good that pornography has set the tone for what men and young boys think sex should look like, often violent without consent? Has it not led to more cases of rape and hurt and humiliation and shame and trauma, depression in men and women? I mean, there are cases of, of young men and women sexting, right? This thing where you text sexual images and having their pictures shared on the internet for everyone to see because they've been pressured or manipulated to do so. Is that good? What about simply the, the broken hearts as we hear about men and women having casual sex with multiple people in a way that expresses their freedom, sure, but leaves people feeling even more lonely, even more unwanted. Passionate lust, like the pagans, is sexual immorality. Sex without morals, without limits, leading, that's what it leads to. Sex was designed actually for our good though. And God puts limits on it for our good, for our flourishing. And while people outside of church might say to Christians, hey, why are you limiting yourself with sex? 
why are you doing that within the covenant of marriage? Like, that sounds prudish. That sounds outdated. Well, God actually designed it for our human flourishing. If Paul is using this language of sexual marriage, we have to recognize, right, that there is something to this as well, that he's also speaking to the specific issue of adultery and infidelity. Again, remember the context of, of, of husbands that would have multiple side dishes, right? When he writes to the Corinthian church in chapter 7, I don't have it on the screen for you, but in chapter 7, verse 2, it says this, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. It's happening, and this is what it sounds like. It sounds like adultery. People are having affairs, infidelity. We all know the effects and brokenness of adultery, don't we? Infidelity in marriages. There's something special then when God designs marriage in mono- you know, with monogamous, monogamy in mind, that when someone is cheated on, there is this brokenness we all feel, the sadness. The family feels it. A husband or wife that's been cheated on feels a hurt and pain that they aren't enough, that they aren't good enough. It hurts. And it's totally understandable why that leads to divorce. It's totally understandable because the love in the marriage is no longer exclusive love between two people. Paul is saying pursue holiness and purity with your body, particularly in marriage. But also see how it affects others. Verse 6 alludes to this when it says, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. You know, when, when he's speaking like that, he's thinking of a network of relationships you know, when we, do, when we commit sexual immorality, we're not just affecting ourselves. We're, there are people affected. It does wreck marriages, but not just yours, potentially another person's marriage. Families and children are left hurting and broken. The people we're involved with, even, even the pornography on the screen, that's someone's daughter, that's someone's sister, that's someone's wife, someone's son or brother or husband. And we live in this individualistic culture, this society, but the truth is we're all connected we all exist within our communities. In the church setting too, if you were to commit adultery in the church, it hurts. It hurts people. It hurts the church family. Uh, to go a step fur- further even, right? If you're currently single, indulging in pornography or prom- promiscuity, you might not see the effects now. But perhaps your future spouse will be affected by your sexual activity. Nothing we do is in isolation, friends. When he says you know, it, it wrongs a brother or sister, we need to remember that network of relationships around us. But even with all that in mind, with all this, I'm, I feel like I'm arguing a point here. The bottom line really is God calls us to, to holiness. God, God says it. Avoid sexual immorality, uh, immorality. Culture has been telling the church for a long time, give this up. You know, the media, the Hollywood, the movies, it all makes Christians look like prudes and killjoys on the topic of sex. But when we understand sex in its right place, we actually understand how good it truly is, according to its design, how it simply, when done well, honors and obeys God. Isn't that what we want to do? Yeah, we have this, this passionate desire, but don't we want to honor God? Isn't that important for us as Christians? That's how we can do it. Verse 6 says, The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. See, we can't dismiss this part. We have a God who will punish, a God who will judge, a God who does call us to obey him. If we were going to reject his commands for us, if we're going to choose a life that picks only parts of the Bible that we agree with, but dismisses the parts that are about things that we disagree with, like sex, for example, then we're actually rejecting God himself. We, if we aren't trusting God with even our sexual side, then we're not trusting God as our God. We should expect God to cut us off, to punish us if we ignore and throw 
throw the whole thing out, uh, thinking it's rubbish. And, and I can tell you, even from, from, from talking to self-professing Christians who don't agree with this, it, it's, I, it, it's, it's, you're basically saying that I only want to agree with the God that I believe in, not the God of the Bible, not the God that actually exists. I'm creating my own version of God that suits me. We shouldn't be surprised here when God says that there's, there will be judgment for that. If we're rejecting God, we're, we're, if we're rejecting these teachings, we're not rejecting, Paul says, we're not rejecting human teachings, we're rejecting God himself as our judge and as our creator. In saying that though, the Christian is not perfect. Oh man, I'm definitely not perfect. We all fail at times in our sexual purity and our lustful desires. We'll make mistakes. Passionate lust may overtake us, yes. Friends, with our sin, God calls us to come back to him, to surrender it before the cross, to repent. There is forgiveness in Jesus. If you're here today and you feel that shame and guilt, know that the people around you have felt it before too. We don't have to let shame or guilt rule our hearts though when we fail. We don't have to, uh, we, don't have to we, we can go back to God. We can bring before him, ask him again and again by his Holy Spirit to purify us, to make us clean. Give us desires that are, that are holy, that seek to please him. So if you're living in sexual sin, you know that you're forgiven freely by the grace and love of Christ. Praise God for that. But God calls you to move forward more and more. Live for him now and avoid sexual immorality. How can we please God to seek purity in our sex? Do it more and more. Uh, secondly, I'll be brief with these other ones. How can we live out God's will in being holy? Verse 9, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. In fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, do so more and more. What's God's will for you? God's will for you is to be a person that loves others and receives love, love from others in Christian community. The Thessalonians who have come to know Jesus, know his love, were, were taught to love one another. In fact, verse 10, their love has been known across the whole region of Macedonia, which, which is where their city is. It's spread across the countryside. Keep loving more and more. When we stand for love, we stand for Jesus. Now, have you ever thought about this is God's will for you? When you ask the question, what is God's will for me? To be a person of love? Like, yes, you know, be a person of love in that career that you've chosen. Be a person of love in that house that you've bought. Be a person of love in that marriage that you have. Or, or, or be a person of love wherever you are. That's God's will for you. And there are so many verses in the Bible, isn't there, about this one another love, one another command. We've been saved into community where we're called to play a role of love and care. That means giving love and receiving love. That's not just my job as a pastor, <laughs> to love you guys. You guys are called to love one another to care for each other. Now, I do love you all and I do care for you, but I can't necessarily, I'm one person, I can't love you all personally. I can't care for you all personally. I can love you from, from, from preaching the word to you and teaching and setting up you know, and managing church and all that sort of stuff that I do here. But we're all called to play that role of love. That's every Christian's job. And Paul is saying, do that more and more. Don't wait. Don't wait for someone else to initiate. You can be the one to move towards others in love. Now, the temptation is we get passive, don't we, with our holiness and we get complacent with our love. We default into what? Loving who? Generally, it's ourselves, isn't it? Isn't that our default programming? Man, I see it in my actions, in my thoughts, in my decisions. I love me. Don't you love you? Don't we subconsciously make our lives all about me? If I'm not pursuing the holiness of God, I live, I live for myself. I'll live only for myself. 
Now, I'm not talking about the self-care, self-love, self-esteem, confidence thing, right? If you hate yourself, that's a sign that you should go see someone and talk to someone, right? I, I encourage that. We all need to do the self-care stuff. I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about in our sinfulness, we're inward-looking naturally. It's seen through the way we, we, we spend our money, how we use our time, how we make decisions. It's self-centered usually, isn't it? About our happiness and our comfort. Paul says, let's love one another more and more. Isn't that one of, one of Jesus' commands? Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't stop. Continue in doing that more and more as you live out your faith. And isn't that the reminder we all need? We're all keen to love one another when we first become Christians, right? We know, oh yeah, God calls me to love people. I'm going to do that as much as I can. Oh, I can in providence. Love me, Jesus. Love me, child. Love me, child. Well, yeah, I'm going to do that as much as I can. But then years pass. You might get jaded a bit. You get tired. You've been hurt by people who you've tried to love. Trust me, I've been there. Loving people is hard. But friends, as I preach this, I'm preaching this to myself, keep going to please the God who loves you. And the only way you're going to keep finding that energy to do that, the desire to do that, is because you know the love of Jesus for you. The Jesus who went to the cross and gave up his very life in sacrifice to love you and I, even when you and I weren't easy to love. Even when you and I were, were his enemies, were really difficult. Tap into that love, knowing that God still loves you, loved you and still loves you the way you are. Keep going, do so more and more. Take initiative to love one another here because our default is to be complacent and to love ourselves. The third thing, verse 11. To make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business, work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. This might sound a bit odd, isn't it? God's will for you is to seek a quiet life. The idea here is to care really about your integrity, to care about your integrity and faithfulness more than your own popularity and faith. Right? Our society really is all about clout, isn't it? Get on TikTok and everyone's all about them. We admire those who have fame, those who have status, those who have thousands of followers. Uh, I remember a few years back, and it was so, I remember um, seeing how Instagram changed its algorithms, and all the influencers were making these um, videos, and they were in tears because they were losing followers and likes. Man, imagine if God had Instagram. I'd imagine him seeing this and going, get over it and get on with it, right? Like, yeah, God cares for you, but does he really care about how many followers you have? Work hard, mind your own business, be someone of faithfulness and integrity. It's not that you can't be famous. It's not that you can't be recognized for your skills and talents. Win the respect, it says, of outsiders through your hard work. Right? So you'll, you'll be well known. That's, it's not about not that. But is your ambition caught up in a life that simply revolves around you and your name? Or will your hard work be used to honor God in his name, to win the respect of outsiders? To fully grasp and appreciate this idea, we have to dis- dissect our society, don't we? The truth is we do glorify those who have made it by society standards make the big bucks, who go viral, who get fame, who have the titles. But when we do that, what are we doing? We're we're, we're making someone who's flawed and sinful, just like you and I, big. But they're just as flawed and they make as many mistakes as we do. How do we live our lives? We're called to live this quiet life to honor God, to make Him big in our lives. And one of the things is, uh, you know, when I think about this is we never put on a pedestal that uh, some of us do, but, you know, we never do, we never recognize the hard work, say, someone uh, like a stay-at-home mum or parent would do. Their, their work is very rarely recognized. They don't have the title. They don't make big bucks. 
But you know, man, the amount of work they do. They juggle the housework. They look after the children. Make sure the pets are fed if they have pets. Laundry is done. Food is prepped. The family's taken care of. Very little recognition for the work that they do. But one of the hardest jobs in the world. 100% one of the hardest jobs in the world. You know, I often think about the ministries at our church. I'm going to say this. Our AV team here is probably one of the most unappreciated teams in our church. But it's one of the most important. You know, I always tell them this, you know, if without them, there's no visuals you know, to sing songs, to, to praise God with. There's no audio for, for the word of God to be preached. It's a, it's a thankless, invisible job. But the truth is God sees it. We don't do it for the follows and likes. We don't do it to, for some sort of recognition as if that defines us. We've got everything we already need in Jesus. So we live our lives with the desire, not for our own selfish ambitions, but with the quiet ambition of seeking to please God in the name of fame of Jesus to be known above our own. It's a lot there, isn't there? But as I wrap up, I hope you feel more confident knowing God's will for you. If you're still caught up wondering what your future holds, well, I've got the answer for you. I'm not a tarot card reader. I'm not going to be a fortune teller. If you're a Christian and you put your faith in Jesus, your future is the same as mine. It's going to be eternity with Jesus. That's what God has promised us. That's the hope we get to live for. But what is God's will for us in our lives now, in this temporary life that we live the will is to be holy. As you heard about these specific areas in chapter 4, living this way, it sounds countercultural to the world we live in, doesn't it? It goes against the grain of society. It's, it's like a fish swimming upstream. It, you know, it, it's not easy to live in a way that seems so totally against even our nature sometimes, our often sinful inclinations. The reality is we will struggle at times with these things. Some of us might not be doing so swell in these things, but what does Paul say? Let's not stand still. Let's move forward with the Spirit's help more and more, he says, to be a people that are countercultural. Not for the sake of being different, but to be countercultural because we follow a crucified Savior who, was, who lived a countercultural life. Let's live for Him, the one we honor, the one we love, the one we live for, Jesus, our risen King. Let me pray for that now. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that uh, Christ did go ahead of us and you've called us to live a life of holiness. That is your will for us. So, Lord, as we, uh, as we come before you, as we think about our, our future, as we think about the things that we're struggling with, the decisions we have to make, help us to come back to this truth. The truth is you've called us to be holy. And so we pray that your spirit will help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen.